All right. If you're ready for the word, put I'm ready in the chat. Shout I'm ready in the studio. Luke chapter 15, verse number 17 is where I want to begin our time together today. Luke 15, verse number 17. Um, man, as a matter of fact, we want to resource you. That's part of call of calling of our church. This is a spiritual pharmacy. That's what we are. We produce, we produce, we produce transformational content that's going to help you change your life. Um, and so throughout this series, each week, we're going to be giving you tips for tough talks. Now, some of you are already signed up for our text list. We're going to send that out to you that way. Others of you, you're like, I don't want you bothering me on my phone. Stop hitting my line. So we're going to put it right on our social media platforms, and it's going to be on our website every single week. We're going to give you new tips for tough talks, and we believe it's going to serve you well. We're pulling principles from Dr. Henry Cloud, and um, we think um, we're going to be the better because of it. Luke 15, 17 says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was, a still, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The clause of concern... It's found in verse 17 when he says, when the text says he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's servants have no food, have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I want to talk from this subject together. I want you to put this in the chat with an exclamation point. I hate it here. <laughs> I hate it here. Today we're, we're, we're inaugurating our exploration of what the scriptures have to say around the subject of tough talks. And our area of emphasis and focus today is on how to have a tough talk with you. And as I leap into this lesson, I, I want to begin with this sticky statement. They're going to put it up on the screens for you. Here it is. Your evolution and your advancement is tied to your authenticity. I'm going to say that one more time. Your evolution and advancement is tied to your authenticity. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen to me. I'm saying that you cannot live well if you will not get real. That wellness, listen to me, and realness are not mutually exclusive. I want to catch, I want you to, see, I want you to catch me here. This is essential because I think this is part of the intention of our eternal God. And that is not just to expose us to him. It is to expose us to us. This is what theologian John Calvin says. He says spiritual growth is not just a journey toward God discovery. It is also a journey toward self-discovery. He's saying in essence... 
I know I'm growing spiritually, not just by whether or not I can see God, but whether or not I can see me. The question isn't just, can I locate God? The question is, can I locate me? And am I, watch this, am I grown enough spiritually to accurately identify where I am? And then honestly assess how I feel about it. And then make a decision regarding what I'm going to do about it. I want you to catch this. God is grooming and growing us toward authenticity. However, we live in a cultural context that works aggressively and intentionally against the very trait God's trying to grow us into. So God's trying to grow us into authenticity. But we live in a culture of superficiality. So people will tell you to be you and then punish you when you're not them. Do you want my opinion or not? Or do you want your opinion in my words? You cannot tell me to be me on one end and then punish me when I'm not like you. And I believe the enemy is either orchestrating this or the enemy is using this and he is using it in a way that is similar to the way he used an Old Testament character named Jezebel who, was, who operated, watch this, in manipulation and intimidation. And so this whole idea of telling you to be you and then counseling you when you're not like someone else is the enemy's way of influencing us the way Jezebel influenced God's people to get you to be someone that's not you because you're operating out of fear to somebody else's reaction as opposed to walking in faith considering what brings God pleasure. You know what the Bible calls this? The Bible calls living this way someone who's living with the fear of man. This is what Solomon says about it in Proverbs 29, 25. He says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. He says, you know what the fear of man is? It's a snare. It's a trap. You see the cheese, you go for the cheese, (laughs) you get trapped. It imprisons you to the opinions of other people who don't even live by the same standards that they hold in you to. They have expectations of you that they can't even meet themselves and then punish you for having the courage to do what they unwilling to do. Now, if you're not ready to be you, that's your business. But don't punish me if I'm ready to be me. Come here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Yes, because your evolution, your advancement, and your effectiveness is in your authenticity. Listen to me. I can proof text this all throughout scripture. David doesn't defeat Goliath if he caves to the pressure of wearing Saul's armor. Y'all missed that. Yeah, so we just see what he did with the slingshot, but we don't see what he didn't do with the sword. See, it's your willingness to walk away from the sword that's going to determine whether or not you can use your slingshot. Did you hear what I just said? Can you imagine the opinions of people when David was walking out there with that slingshot saying, what he going to do with that? Nobody can't defeat him with that. But they didn't realize and recognize that even though the slingshot was new to them, it was proven to David. Y'all missed it. <laughs> he said, just because you just now seeing me do this doesn't mean I just started doing this. I need somebody to put in the chat. I do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do this. I do this. Just because you hadn't been exposed to it doesn't mean I hadn't been doing it. Just because you aren't aware of it doesn't mean I hadn't been doing it. And just because you hadn't seen anybody use a slingshot to take a giant down don't mean this slingshot don't work. Doubt me if you want to. Talk about me if you want to. And watch me knock this giant down. I can prove test is all throughout scripture. Because your evolution, your advancement, and your effectiveness is tied to your authenticity, your uniqueness, your willingness to embrace you. And I think this is incredibly important. And I think there are some lessons that we can pull from scripture that can aid and assist all of us in this because I believe, this is my belief, it may be naive, but this is my belief. I believe most people want to be them. Like most people want to be themselves, but they don't know how. (sighs) And I'm saying to get there, there's some tough talks you got to have. But to get to a place called authenticity, you got to have tough talks with you. Did you hear what I just said? I I, I don't want (laughs) to. I can prove Texas out there on scripture. David had had to have a tough talk with himself when he was walking around with that armor. He had to say, this ain't me. (laughs) See that? See, there's some things that you're wearing that look like they fit on the outside, but you know they're not right for you on the inside. So there are some assessments that only you can make because you know this ain't me. And the text right here in John and Luke chapter 15 provides us with some insight on how to have tough talks with you. I'm telling you, I've been reading this text since I've been reading the Bible. I've been reading the Bible regularly since I was 15. When I would go to basketball games, I would put my Bible in the backpack. Now, I had Tupac on my Walkman. I don't know what's, what, what's up with that. So, Tupac was on the Walkman, but the Bible was in the backpack. I don't know, it's weird. But, here, <laughs> but th- this is what I want you to see. I've been, I've been reading this story for years, for decades, and I never saw what I saw recently when I was studying for this message. All these years I've been preaching this story, 
in Luke 15, it's a parable, right, that Jesus tells. It's, 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 uh, um, it's, it's Jesus' way of using a natural truth to explain a spiritual truth. It's Jesus' way of using something we can understand to help us understand something we can't understand. Jesus, Jesus tells this story, this parable about this father, and this father has two sons. And the Bible says this. This is so interesting. He has one. So you got two sons. They're both living in the same house, but they're having two different experiences. They live in the same house with the same father, but they're having two different experiences. You got one son, the Bible says, is the elder son. He's satisfied with his experience. You got a younger son living in the same house. He's dissatisfied with his experience. But the Bible doesn't give us any indication that the father treated them differently. So it wasn't the father's activity. It was the younger son's interpretation. His youthfulness is a spiritual metaphor for immaturity. Because the immature misinterpret actions. The immature see themselves being treated unfairly when you're not. The immature, uh, are you hearing what I'm saying? The immature make themselves victims when they aren't. Am I saying there are not times where people handle people unjustly? Of course they do. But I'm saying that's not this text. So the father's putting limitations that on the children that the younger son saw as restrictions. And maybe he saw the elder brother have some latitude he didn't have, not realizing he older. You're in the same house, but you're not the same age. Am I making sense? Now, this is interesting. What he should have saw as protection, he saw as restriction. The father was not trying to restrict his freedom. He was trying to protect it. It's the blessing of the block. Because the father in this text is a metaphor for God. And some blessings come in blocks. Has God ever blocked anything? (laughs) Did you hear what I said? I'm not talking about God blocking something you didn't want to happen. I'm talking about God blocking something you did want to happen. It's the blessing of the block. What seems like an opportunity can really be a trap. And when you don't see it, God will come in and block it. And we got to praise him for blessings and we got to praise him for blocks. Somebody give him a block praise right here. Thank you for the things you blocked. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There were certain schools I tried to get into and God was like. Some relationships some people tried to get into and God was like. Some opportunities we tried to take advantage of and God was like, it's the blessing of the block. It feels like restriction, but it's protection. Now, if I was in New Jersey at the 1130 service, I would really go here, go here. But since all of us together, I'm going to act like I'm in New Jersey at the 1130 service. I hope y'all can handle this. There are some people who are judging you for the things you did. Having no idea about the things you tried to do that God blocked. Okay, that's... That's 11.30, okay. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah, they just... (laughs) 
Oh, you mad about that? <laughs> you have no idea what I tried to do and God blocked it. Somebody one more time, give them a, I need an honest people right now to give them a block praise. I was calling them, getting ready to speak in earthly tongues. I was dialing their number and they didn't pick up the phone. God blocked it. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Watch this. So this younger son has some immaturity issues. And it's not age, it's, it's emotional immaturity. So when the father wouldn't give him everything he wanted, here's some emotions that showed up with this younger son. Arrogance showed up. This is an overinflated estimation of oneself. Entitlement showed up. This is a belief that one is inherently deserving of something that somebody else earned but they didn't. And offense. This is resentment that rises as a result of an assumed insult. And the enemy used these three emotions to cause a younger son, y'all come here, to go to the father and say, give me the portion of goods, meaning the part you got for me in your will, I'm tired of waiting on you to die to get it. Give it to me now. That's the immature son who goes to the father and says, give me. Watch this. It's a request he makes of the father. But the request is a revelation of his immaturity. Because the immature only say these words to the father. Give me. I'm getting ready to show you something in a minute. Because when he's in his pig pen, he doesn't say, I'm going to go back to the father and say, give me. He says, I'm going to go back to the father and say, make me. Did you hear what I just said? He said, I'm going to go back to the father and say, make me one of your higher servants. See, when we're immature, the prayers give me. When we grow up in the spirit, the prayer is make me. And if you make me, you won't have to give me so much. When you make me, I'll go get it for myself. So he takes all he has, heads off for a distant country. So the father tries to teach him, convince him through instruction, but he will not listen. So when, when God cannot get through to us through, by instruction, he gives you an experience. And he gives you an experience. He gives you what you want that he knows you don't need to teach you something about him. He says, the only way you're going to understand my nature is for me to give you what you feel like you want so that you can see that what I was doing was not restricting you. I was protecting you. And after, and after that experience, you won't just see it differently. You'll see me differently. You come back trusting me more. He says, okay, I want to teach you through instruction, but I love you enough to teach you through experience. Woo! Am I making sense here? Yeah. So the Bible says he gives the son his part of the will. 
The son goes off to a distant land and the Bible says he spent it in wild living with the people of that land. Okay. <laughs> he spent it in wild living with the people of that land. He had value, valuables and assets, but got with the wrong individuals and they helped him spend what they couldn't help him get. So he gets in the wrong place. Now, his, his physical distance can be a metaphor for like spiritual distance, right? Or emotional distance. So when you get in the wrong place, not just physically, but emotionally or spiritually, you meet the wrong people. And it feels right. As long as we wasting my values. So you're helping me lose what I value. I'm losing my values with you. And the Bible says he spends all he had. And then something happened. He came to himself. One, one text says he came to his senses. Please don't miss this. Look at the text. The Bible doesn't say anybody was in the pig pen with him. Because wow. he ends up, he spends all he has, and he has to start working for somebody feeding their pigs. So he's in, he's in the pig pen feeding pigs. And nobody's in there with him. And the Bible says he starts talking. <laughs> Come on. It says... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. If nobody's in the pig pen, who are we talking to? He's talking to himself. He's having a tough talk with himself. And sometimes when you see you've missed it, sometimes when you see you need a U-turn, you got to pull a chair up to yourself and say, we need to talk. We need to talk. I'm here dirty. I'm here stinking. I'm here hungry. And my father's servants are living better than this. I hate it here. I wasn't born for this. I hate it here. I'm more than this. I hate it here. My daddy didn't create me for this. I hate it here. He says, I'm not living in a way that's consistent with who I am, so I hate it. <laughs> am I making sense here? I, I, I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this, family. Jesus, th th this, this young man's experience turns around. So, like, I've read this story so long, and I've always just highlighted the father and the love of the father and I never gave the younger son credit okay. he, did a, he did some things that were just so unwise and arrogant and immature but the one thing he did is something many people won't do and that is he didn't let pride keep him in the pig pen no 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 
Because do you know how much humility it took to say, I got to go back to a man that I told was wrong and tell him he was right. Is pride keeping you in the mud? It's trying to prove to them that you're not hurt keeping you in the mud. What is that? He has emotional honesty. He's able to honestly acknowledge what he's actually feeling. And what he was feeling was frustration. And frustration is your friend. Put that in the chat. Frustration is your friend. Frustration is on God's payroll. He uses it. You want him to take it away as one of God's greatest gifts to you. One, one writer calls frustration holy discontent. Because frustration is fuel. And God use it to, he uses it to energize you. To get you from where you are to where you need to be. See, what I love is that he hated the pig pen. What would have been problematic is, is if he loved it. Some people are okay there. You can't be okay there. So God wants to use frustration as an indication that you no longer belong on the level you live in at. Did you hear what I just said? I said frustration is the equivalent of the check engine light on a vehicle. It's God's way of saying, I want you to pay attention to something right here because you're living beneath who I've called and created you to be. You're getting ready to settle for something that's less than my best for you. So I'm going to agitate you with frustration until you get so frustrated with the pig pen that you come on back home. Hallelujah. So, yep, I want you to be frustrated financially. I want you to be frustrated relationally. I want you to be frustrated spiritually. I want you to be frustrated emotionally. I want you to be frustrated professionally because I'm trying to use that as fuel to get you to come back home. It's okay. See, I think when you live in authentic, uh, are y'all ready for this? Uh, your authenticity, what's this? Your, your unique identity, excuse me. So we all got unique design. We got unique dreams. We got unique desires. That's what, that's what makes us different. And watch this. So we have value differentiation. We might value the same thing. We might not value the same way. Sometimes we don't value the same thing. All right? And there's some room for some latitude there. But what I value is a part of my unique design. And what I don't value is also a part of my unique design. The food I don't like distinguishes me from people who like it. So that means I got to be okay with what I don't like. Because part of what I don't like make me me. And if I try to make myself like what I don't like, I'm removing value differentiation and I'm compromising my uniqueness. So it means I got to get to the place where I'm okay acknowledging you might like it here, but I hate it here. Respectfully. Respect. I'm glad to have a job, sir. Thank you for giving me a job and allowing me to feed these pigs. This was, I, I, right, I could be hungry and I appreciate it, but this ain't for me. Respectfully. <laughs> yeah, you don't know where I come from and, and you don't know who my daddy is. And so I, I, I love the fact that it could, it could be worse than what it is right now, but it's still not good as it's supposed to be for me right now. So respectfully, I hate it here. I hate it here. That's part of what distinguishes you from everybody else. This man models emotional honesty. Now, let me tell you what it, y'all better come get me. 
Let me tell you what happens here. The Bible says he prepares this speech that he's going to tell his father when he gets home. And by the time he gets home, the father sees him. Don't miss this from a long way off. So before he can even get to the father, the father sees him. It's a metaphor for his heart turning. Before the heart turns, the father sees it turning. <laughs> and he runs out to meet him halfway in the turn. And when he's about to give the speech, the father cuts him off and starts talking to other people. Say, bring me a rope. Bring me shoes. And then says, bring me a ring. Here is my question. If the father gave him all this stuff, how did he have a robe to fit him? Shoes that fit him. And a ring that he could wear. Because the father has enough to replace what you waste. Did you hear what I just said? I said the father's got enough to replace what you waste. Is there anybody here that can look back over your life and say, I blew some things. I mismanaged some opportunities. But if you will get real, the father's got enough to replace <laughs> what you wasted. I hate it here. Are you able to be real about what you feel? And I'm not talking about being real to others. I'm talking about being real with you. Because one writer says the emotion, your emotion. Watch this. Listen, most people aren't able to do this. Emotional honesty is a prerequisite for authenticity. Most people aren't able to do this. Y'all follow me here? I feel like I'm all over the place. Y'all follow me here? Yeah, I, I, I want to make sure you're clear. Because if, if you don't get this right with you, you can't get it right relationally. So if you don't know, if you're at a place that you hate, you won't know what you can and can't tolerate relationally. Does that make sense? So like me, like with friendships, this is what I have to have. I got to have trust. Right? I can rock with people that aren't perfect. I can't rock with people that I can't trust. So somebody might steal from me and still be in my life. But if you lie to me, ah. Does that make sense? Right. So, so that's just, that's emotional honesty. Here's the thing. Most people can't, right, they can't get to a healthy a place of authenticity and they can't make good choices relationally because they, they have not stepped into emotional honesty because they're judging their emotions before they discern what their emotions are trying to tell them. They're sitting here saying, I shouldn't feel this way. As opposed to saying, what are these feelings trying to tell me? Sometimes the feelings can be telling me something about me. They can be telling me I'm hypersensitive. They can be telling me I need to grow up. Like, but, but most people can't get the message that the emotions are trying to send them. Because they're assigning morality to emotions. Don't assign morality to emotions. Assign morality to actions. The Bible never tells you not to feel. It tells you what not to do. Paul even says, be angry. But sin not. Because the emotions are the language of the soul. It's the way the heart is letting you know 
what you're feeling, what you're worshiping, and what you're expecting. Make sense? So sometimes I don't know. People wouldn't know they're pursuing the praise of men until when they don't get it and they feel some kind of way. And, and those feelings are God's way of trying to communicate to us. You're pursuing the praise of men. But you don't know that until you don't get that and there's a feeling attached to it. <sighs> but if we can get real, we can get right. And it's okay to be, it's okay respectfully to be grateful and then be aware that my current state is not God's best for me at the same time. Right? Come on. As a leader, it's, 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 it's possible to be grateful for what God has done. But then at the same time, say, where we are is not God's best for me. I hate it here. Okay. <laughs> it's this commitment to authenticity. I'm done. And, and your prayer... Your prayer life, so the conversation, getting real with God, we're going to talk about that in this series. This is a prerequisite to that. You can't even do that if you don't do this. You're going to be praying censored prayers. Can't be real to others if we don't do this. I want to tell you something. This is freedom, family. And when we step into this degree of authenticity, there are three things that I believe the Bible teaches that will happen that we can biblically expect. Here's the first one. Number one, when we commit to live with authenticity, it's going to expose your real allies. Are y'all ready for this? Some people are attached to a version of you that isn't a real you. And when you become authentic, it's going to reveal to you those that are really for you and assigned to you. This is what I believe. I believe we all need to grow and we have to grow. But this is what I believe. God, in any space, is not going to divinely join you with somebody that you have to be someone other than yourself to be with. I mean, you can like work together, you can do things together, but if, if it's a divine joining, God is not going to join you with anybody. It's gonna, they'll be able to see you and see your areas of growth, brokenness, and love you into wholeness. They will not be allergic to your weakness. Are y'all hearing this? All this is scripture. I don't have time. I'm way, I'm way over my time. This is why Jesus could touch a leper and not get leprosy. Because <laughs> when God divinely connects you with somebody. They can touch what's contagious. And not get contaminated. They'll touch what others won't touch. 
here's my question to you. Don't you want real, don't you want those kind of relationships? Well, John chapter 6, when Jesus got real and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no parts of me. What it did is it exposed people who were just there for the two fish and five loaves. So he worked a miracle. All these people followed him. And, but then when he talked about the commitment that relationship required, they left. Because some people love you as long as you're using your gift. Do you understand that? But when it's a divine joining, they appreciate your gift but they love you more than that. (sighs) Number two, authenticity is going to increase your anointing. Listen to me. God's anointing, I did a whole series on this. It's on YouTube. If you hadn't seen it, it's called Oil Change. It's right before the pandemic. God's anointing only falls on the authentic self. God only, God will will not anoint who you pretend to be. Did you hear what I just said? And we live in an age of such spiritual apathy that many people cannot discern between charismatic personalities who are exceptionally gifted. And they can't distinguish that between the anointing. But Isaiah tells us a distinctive about the anointing. It removes burdens and destroys yokes. So when I work my gift, I work. But when the anointing works, God works. Right? It's not just am I preaching, it's is God working. While I'm preaching, that's the anointing. So the evidence of the anointing is not really seen in the experience and the vibe somebody can create in a room. It's seen in the transformational impact of the people that anointing is serving when that moment is over. I can't just tell if you're anointed on Sunday. I'll know Monday. Is the yoke destroyed? And it is that X factor. It's that unteachable know-how and ability. It's a thing you don't get through training. It doesn't come through repetition. It's a grace gift. It's, it just make it different. It, it, it just makes what you do different. It makes your words more persuasive. It makes, it makes your appeals more convincing. It, 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 it makes your ministry more compelling. It's an X factor. And that's found in your authenticity. Man, I'm trying to get you to see you enough. I can't tell you how much I struggle with this. I'm Matter of fact, I'm writing my next book on this. I struggled with this. Always felt so weird. So different. Wondered if I could actually win doing it my way. Thought sometimes do people even want to hear somebody talk about the Bible? I struggled with that. But at some point, you got to get to the place where you say, I hate it there. It's my slingshot or nothing. I ain't committed to winning. I'm committed to God. Y'all missed it. See, culture is committed to winning. But the Hebrew boys say, God is able. 
so we won't bow. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow because I'm not committed to winning. I'm committed to God. And that means being me and believing I'm enough. So I'm going to teach this Bible till I die. Because that's my slingshot. And I'm explaining the scriptures in a way where you can apply it to your life on Monday because that's my slingshot. Because I'm not committed to filling arenas. I'm committed to God. faithfulness because if you don't find faithfulness you're going to live with emptiness I don't care how successful you get I don't care how much money gets in that bank I don't care how many people call your name if you don't find faithfulness you're going to live with emptiness because there's always going to be something in you saying you hate it here you know it you pay but you hate it because you feel like an actor you're performing you're not even you And authenticity, number three, is going to accelerate your advancement. Clarity br brings speed. You ever got behind somebody driving and you're like, where are they going? They're driving also, they don't know where they're going. But when you're clear, you move quicker. It's time out of waste. It's time out for wasting time trying to be somebody you're not. And I feel the Spirit of God compelling you toward authenticity. I feel him drawing a line in the sand saying, do you love me more than winning? Because if you love me more than winning, I can trust you with the win. See, there are many people who are winning, who've demonstrated they can't be trusted with winning. It's winning causes them to lose. He said, but if you committed to me, I know you'll be like Esther. You'll never love what I gave you more than why I gave it to you. And you'll always be faithful to why I gave it to you, even if it means putting in jeopardy what I gave you. Because I love you more than this. I'm over my time. But I feel the Holy Spirit at work. Setting you free from prisons of falsehood. That's what David said. He said, Lord, keep me far from falsehood. Keep me far from falsehood. Call me to be me. And I believe the Holy Spirit is helping you have some tough talks. I don't know if we do enough of this in church, but Habakkuk says the Lord's in his holy temple. Let's keep silent. I feel like God's talking to some people and you also talking to yourself. I want you to just take a moment. Just let him talk. Lord, I thank you. I'm enough. 
So, Father, we just shed away, peel away and peel back layers of inauthenticity that we've been covered in and clothed in. We walk out of the tombs that we've been imprisoned in as a result of our inauthenticity. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a convincing work. Right now, would you convince us that we are and our slingshot is enough? Would, would you convince us that you will raise up, that you will show us, or that you would send us people who will love, honor, cherish, respect, value us for us. I pray that you would give people the confidence that there are a people that's hungry for and waiting on what they have to offer. May we live with that conviction and that assurance in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> and I'm telling you from experience, there's a joy and a fulfillment, a peace that comes with that that you can obtain no other way. Nothing will do it. And when you get it, you will hold on to it for dear life. I want to pray a benediction, a blessing, a blessing over you. It's, it's a prayer I pray for you each week. And I want to pray it again on this Sunday. May the Lord God bless you. May he keep you. May he keep you. May you be kept by him. May he provide. May he protect you. May he pro protect you from dangers you see and dangers you don't see and pestilence and disease. May he protect those things that concern you, your children, and other things that you've birthed. May he provide for you. May, may he meet every need. May he send water from a rock, provision from unexpected places. And above all else, as you walk into your authenticity, may the Lord God grant you peace. This is my prayer for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>